You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hey, Michael. Andre, you've got more hair than usual. I feel like I've got less hair than usual. I've cut a lot of it off. Remember how long and flowing it was, especially before my wedding? Yes, I remember that. But it seems that you had got your hair cut, and now it seems that Henry is going to be on the podcast again. Earlier than usual. Yes, usually he waits for us to talk for a while. But no, your hair seems to be flowing locks today. Alrighty then. Yeah. Um, I don't want to waste a lot of time setting this up because it is one of our longer podcasts, but uh, at I4C, yep. we managed to steal one of the winemakers away in between the School of Cool and Flights of Chardonnay. For a couple hours, actually, yeah. Which, um, I mean, apart from the insane heat, yep. was a very, a very great event again this year. Uh, okay. I, I did not think it was as good as last year's. Uh, I think the wines were not as good as last year, although I found the the wine from the Jura, the uh, the sparkling wine, was really, really good. It was probably my favorite wine of the whole event. I just didn't think it was as good. But then it's the ninth annual, right? So how many people remember how, who won the 49th Super Bowl versus how many won the 50th Super Bowl? And I... Because I, dis- think, I think 10 is coming up. And, and I, I, I do and disagree. I disagree with you about the caliber of wines. I do agree with you the Jura wine was fantastic, and we're both idiots for not remembering the name of it off the top of our head. Um, oh, it's Marcel uh, Caballier. There we go. Yeah. It was a uh, Jura Chardonnay Cremant de Jura. I thought it was great to have... I bought some. I thought it was great to have Thomas uh, pouring Le Clos Jardin's yeah. uh, wine, which... The farm was new this year at their uh, Chardonnay. Domaine Kalus had a great Chardonnay as well. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to put Adam Lowy and Kevin Panagapka at a table together from Cloudsley and 2027 Cellars. See, we're, we're talking about the Ontario stuff. I'm also, I, I didn't try the Ontario stuff because I get okay. to try the Ontario stuff. I'm talking about the and see, that's it. international it's, it's, wines. And, and for me, because I don't live in, in Niagara, like I taste as much as I can, and I'm, I'm very grateful when people take the time to send me samples to taste in Toronto, but I'm doing a lot of the tasting on my own. The Fleischer Chardonnay was an opportunity for me to catch up and do a lot of tasting. Yeah, Ontario st- stood their stood their own. I just was talking about the international, but as I'm saying, more international, people. There was the the uh, the champagne, uh, the, the champagne, Blanc de Blanc, which was a little uh, oxidized. I thought, but that's. Okay. I think that was that was definitely a style decision, right. though. Um, but I, I I still believe that uh, the 10th anniversary is going to be the big one. That's that's the one where you're going to get the all stars coming in, coming back. Uh, this just seemed to be off one, an off one. I just that's, you know, that was I, my I, take. Listen, I absolutely maintain that it was because of the heat and nothing to do with the wines or the food. I, I, All right, uh, you know, I had to give a shout out to Chef uh, Michael Olson. Who? Yeah. Well, it was good to see Michael Olson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, he's a great fan of Ontario wine, and I've been following him on social media for a long time, but never had a chance to taste his cooking because was he, he doesn't have a restaurant. Crispy pork belly, which was great. His uh, pork a leaky pie, which was I missed that. Like a, I, like a like a like a pork terrine with a with a hard boiled egg in it in delicious I, I uh, pastry. Crunched, I crunched through his his pork. Anyway, we're getting way off on a topic. No, no, and, had... and you know, I just want to say, like, there's just something satisfying about like when you see a chef on social media you see a restaurant on social media preparing food when it tastes as good as it looks because often it doesn't and if you get a chance to taste chef michael olson's food go out of your way to do it because it was uh it was outstanding so we had richard painter who is from i think we had him introduce himself so why don't we just roll tape yeah let's get to it what the hell are we doing today michael why don't you say it slower andre what the hell are we doing today michael 
Well, Andre, we, you are down for the I4C. I'm already down here. We're in the St. Catharines studio, Yep, which is my dining room table, actually. Yep, and like a good student, you skipped school today. I did, uh, but it was for a good cause. It yes. was for our uh, Toronto Life article. Yes. Uh, so one of us drew the short straw to go into Toronto, <laughs> and I gladly took the short well, straw. Well, it's hardly bullet. a short straw. It was just like, I'm going to taste Chardonnay, and you were just like, oh, God. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's what I said. I said, I'll gladly take the short straw. I even asked you which one was the short straw. Yep, that's that sounds about right. Yeah. So. But uh, we've got someone in studio. Yes. We've brought the Toronto studio to St. Catharines again. And we brought somebody from all the way from New Zealand. Well, yes. actually, uh, Rod did from Villa Maria. But, okay. But um, we have Richard Painter, who's the winemaker for Tia, Tiawa. That's right. Not Tiawa. 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 That was good. Did he pronounce it properly? Yeah. Okay, because he can't pronounce any French word properly. If it's like <laughs> I'm not very good it. with New Zealand yeah. stuff so either. Better at Maori language than French. Not really. Okay, so Tiawa is a, a Maori word. It is. It, uh, it means the river, basically. If, uh, but the full name of the property is actually Tiawa or Tiatua. So good luck pronouncing that. Tiawa or Tuatua? Or Tiatua. And that translates Atua. to the river of God. That's actually what it means. It's a great name for a winery. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So Richard and I actually met when I was in New Zealand. Uh, We had lunch together. And um, I'd like to... Because every time you go somewhere and we bring a winemaker in from there, you're always like, I went to Chile. I went to France. Yep. yep, yep. I went. So it's my my turn. And uh, actually, Richard makes one of my wife's favorite wines, which is the Left Field Sauvignon Blanc. It's actually her find that, that... is why we like it so much. Yeah, I'm actually taking a quick look at the end of the table. You're down here for I4C, the Cool Climate Chardonnay Celebration. That's right. There's not a single Chardonnay on this table. No, I, I asked no. for no Chardonnay. Well, I, I, heard I that said, Ron, I said, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah, taste yeah. Chardonnay because I'll be tasting that later. You dick. Yep. <laughs> I knew you weren't going to like it. I said, bring some weird stuff. So I, I see that we actually, have Actually, there's a, some, cool, some cool stuff, but I, I don't want to... Let, let's, we don't need to bury the lead. We can just we can hold on to that until okay. later oh, on okay. and... Okay. We'll get to it when we get to it. So, uh, Richard, tell us a little bit about Tiawa Winery. Okay, so we're located in Hawke's Bay, which is on the east coast of the North Island, around about halfway up. Um, so it's a pretty warm uh, warm region for New Zealand. We we grow mostly Chardonnay, Syrah, uh, Merlot Cabernet blends on the home estate. Um, but... Um, we also have a range called Leftfield where we take grapes from different parts of the country, um, from the South Island, for instance, where some of those grape varieties grow a bit better. Uh, but as I said, the name, the full name of the property is actually Tiawa or Tiatua, which means the River of God. Um, and our, our property is really s- situated on the side of an old riverbed um, that up until only uh, 160 years ago was a river. Um, and uh, it was a, what we call a braided gravels river, so a very stony, wide riverbed. Uh, and there was a massive flood event. Uh, and the whole course of the river shifted about two kilometres and left this very barren old riverbed. Um, and uh, it was regarded as wasteland for a number of years. And then in the 1980s and early 90s, uh, local grape growers realised it would be pretty amazing soil to grow grapes in. Um, so I think the name Tiawa, meaning the river, is a pretty good name for our site because uh, we literally are just situated on an old riverbed. And then uh, what Hawke's Bay is also known for, if I'm not mistaken, is the Gimlet Gravels, which is around there. 
That's right, and uh, yeah, we're situated on the Gimlet Gravel. Okay. So that, that old riverbed, that, that that bed of stones, is known as the Gimlet Gravel. So you were obviously paying attention when we had lunch. Congratulations there, uh, for paying attention for the first time Good. ever, Michael. No, well, I was I was interested. I was there, and I don't know when I'll get to New Zealand again. So. Gimlet Gravels. Yeah. Gimlet Gravels. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an area of 800 hectares of this old riverbed that I'm talking about. Um and it was, like I say, it was really regarded as wasteland um, until the late 80s or early 90s when, when wine growers realised it was ideal for growing grapes. Um, it's quite famous for its red grapes in particular, Syrah, uh, Merlot, Cabernet blends. Um, and it's, it's a very distinct soil type. Uh, we have an association of about 25 wineries and vineyards that own land on that, um, that 800 hectares of land. And we formed an association called the Gimlet Gravels Association. Uh, it's actually a trademark, um, but we call it an appellation. It's probably the, the closest thing to an appellation that we have in New Zealand. Uh, cool. And it is just just 25 wineries, and that's it. That's all that owns. Give or take, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty rare piece of land to get. I know. I, well, I, I, just, have, I, just I have read it, in places where people would, like, kill their mother to get a piece of that. Well, <laughs> I find it interesting that we've got a, a Cab Sauve Merlot on the table because I think right now, being in, in Canada... New Zealand's known first and foremost for Sauvignon Blanc, yeah. and yeah. Uh, secondly for Pinot Noir, and even that—that's just starting to kind of creep into the mainstream beyond people who really love wines. And then third for Chardonnay, uh, is there a lot of a lot of uh, Bordeaux varietals being made in, in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. And um, the Gimlet Gravels is is really the place you want to be for those varietals. Um, it's you know, very stony soil, so the grapevines really struggle. They produce really concentrated grapes, very low yields. But it's also the it's in a little microclimate, so it's the warmest part of Hawke's Bay. Um, when you're and, talking warm, like how warm? How warm are we talking? I mean, on you know, on a uh, on a sort of given day in summer, we can be hitting 30, 32 degrees Celsius uh, quite comfortably. Do you do Celsius here? Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. so, yep. you know only I mean? one messed up country south of us yeah, <laughs> hasn't caught on yet. Yeah. No, that's good. So, you know, it's a hot place. Um, it's hot, dry, dusty. You know, it can be almost quite inhospitable on a, on a hot day. Kind of um, like uh, like it is today. Very inhospitable. Yeah. Okay, that's not complaining hu- about the weather. It's a bit more oh, humid here, though. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't get this humidity. Oh, yes, that's right. So, yeah. Yeah, he's rubbing it in on that part. So, so pro- proximity, proximity to the Pacific Ocean, then, that cools uh, down at night? Yeah, so as the crow flies, it's only about 10 kilometres away from the ocean. So uh-huh. we're close enough to get a cooling effect at night, uh, but, but not so much. During the day, the wind tends to come from the west, which is inland. Um, so during the day, it doesn't have so much of a cooling effect. This may be kind of a dick question, but how, how's the... What's never stopped you before. No. What's the <laughs> furthest in anywhere in New Zealand that you can get away from? Because it's a, it's a small island. There. It is, yeah. I think the furthest you can get away from the ocean is Centro Otago, which yeah. is famous for its Pinot. Um, the distance is only about 160 kilometers, yeah. I think. Well, it's not far. So, yeah. yeah. So that's the closest I thing we've got to a continental so No, I mean, it's an interesting question, though, right? Yeah. That's why I was interested. Should we taste the first wine before we ask more questions about the winery? Are we going to go left to right or right to left? We're going to start with Sauvignon Blanc, your favorite. Well, let's kay. try. Why don't we start with the Albarino? <laughs> oh, no, he's going to try something. Start with the let's Albarino. Mix okay. it up a little bit because I think the Albarino really encapsulates what we're doing with the um, Leftfield brand. Um, well, and we did just recently do a podcast uh, where we had a nice sampling of wine sent to us from Vino Verde. Yes, and oh right, big fan Very of good. Albarino for Vino Verde. Um, yeah, so of yeah, course, nice uh, Alvarino is one of the main ingredients in Vino Verde. So it's, uh... 
So what made you think to plant this or go after this as a... Uh, so, so, I mean, as I said, we, you know, we make a lot of our single estate range of wines, which is a single vineyard range um, from our home vineyard in Hawke's Bay, but we have our left field range, which is um, the brand we sell here in Canada. Um, and the idea with left field, um, obviously you can't see the labels right now, but it's got some pretty, pretty quirky labels, quirky branding, as you might expect from a brand called left field. Uh, but part of the idea of the brand is we want it to be a bit, little bit left field with the wines as well, whether it be slightly um, esoteric varieties um, or perhaps just variations on, on what regionality you might expect. Can from I see the, the bottle? Just you can. So I can, I yeah, can yeah. describe it. Like, I think quirky is a great way to... Uh, a great way to describe it. Like it's quite yeah. modern. Got a pencil sketching on it, like a plate that you'd find in a hundred-year-old textbook. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's what the drawings are all all modelled on. Um, so every bottle has a different uh, drawing on it um, that has its own little backstory. So the really, the, great, really, uh, really eye-catching, uh, just with a lot of like, yeah. the, the white space. It's got a kind of a vintage book book page look to it. And anybody uh, looking for these in the LCBO, uh, you go to the LCBO's website. It's either two words, left field, or one word, left field. <laughs> They've really nailed up. Yeah, we like uh, to keep people yeah, I, these I really <laughs> wish the, uh, the LCBO would make their search function a little bit uh, easier, a little bit better. A little more uh, intuitive, because if you, if you do yes. it, there's two words, you get completely different wines. You get well, one, I think you get one of the you, wines. You, if you punch in the word Pinot Noir, if you punch in the words Pinot Noir, and sorry, this is a bit of an uh, aside from talking to you, but if you punch in the words Pinot Noir, it will pull up anything with the word Pinot, but also any wine with the word noir, whether it's Baco, ga- uh, Gamay, yeah. mm. or, or anything else, or any quirky, I've, tried, I've tried the quotation marks thing, and that really doesn't work either. So <laughs> it's really. Uh, so you said there's a bit of a story to go with this. Before we get into like the nuts and bolts of what's in the wine, this is uh, says Harvest Duel on it, and it's uh, a couple of chaps with what looks yeah. like... There's a story on the side, actually. Why don't you read it out to us? Vying That's for me. coveted title of head vintner, duelists wield wit, their weapon of choice, and some very fancy footwork. On guard... Once a champ is declared, oldest living left field resident, blind Ramona pins the medal to her victor's chest, more or less. So you guys actually duel on the property? Uh, yeah, with a paintbrush and a fish, um, okay. if, if you look closely. Um, yep. So as you can see, pretty left field. Um, look, we just want to have a little bit of fun with our labels. Like, There's a lot of very traditional, um, sort of, dare I say, boring wine labels it's in the world. It's hard to stand so, out on the shelf. Yeah. Man, it's really hard to stand out on the shelf. And, and you know, you have to walk a tightrope when you start being forward-thinking or being too goofy that someone might, might dismiss the label as gimmicky. But you've done... It, it, it screams premium wine, it, and yeah. it screams interesting. So, and, and that's uh, really important to us. I mean, it's one thing to have a, have a quirky label, and one that's a bit fun, but the wine inside the bottle's got to be really, really good quality. So, so it, I think it's an interesting wine based on you know what we tried from, from Portugal, the Alvarino. Yeah, it's a little bit more, more restrained, a um, little bit less floral, a little bit more orchard fruit, great acid, but like the phenolic ripeness is one of those things where on the back palate it almost feels like it's sweet, but it's not. There's, it, I'm guessing there's... Four grams or less residual sugar in that? Uh, less. The, that's the 2018 vintage, and it's got about two and a half, I think. Yeah. I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting more like a citrus pith on the end, so yep. it's a little more... I'm not getting like the, the bitterness necessarily from the pith, but there's definitely citrus in there. No, I'm liking that. I'm liking that bitterness, though. I like bitterness a little more than you do. I'm a bitter person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, I, th- I think um, with our Barino, I think um, people expect it to be reasonably dry and crisp and refreshing. Yep. Um, uh, I don't think people necessarily expect to see sweetness. Um, and I think what you're describing is probably the phenolic structure of the wine. Um, and I deliberately 
with this wine, left a little bit of phenolic grip in the wine just so it did finish quite dry. Um, the, we grow this in Gisborne, which is on the east coast of the North Island, further north than Hawke's Bay, um, and some of the natural acidity um, drops out of the grapes. And you expect a bit of acidity in Albarino, so I sort of make up with that lower acidity by leaving a little bit more phenolic in the wine, just through skin contact of the fruit. Wait, there's complete balance to this. Like I... It, uh I mean, if you're talking about struggling with acidity, it certainly doesn't show in the final product. That's beautifully balanced wine. Yeah. No, it's really nice. No. Do you want to go to the next wine? Yeah, speaking of bitter, yeah. uh, is the next wine the Sauvignon Blanc? Yeah, probably. Yeah, so after trying something a little bit esoteric, um, we have to try um, the classic Kiwi Sav, as we call them. But this is, this is not from Thank you. Marlborough, which is where everybody you know, thinks Sauvignon Blanc comes from. Yeah, that's right. So, um, like I said, um, part of being left field is doing some more esoteric varieties such as Albarino, but we're also looking at exploring a little bit um, some different regions that people may not expect, um, especially um, on an, in an international sort of market oh. like Canada. Um, so our left field Sauvignon Blanc comes from the Nelson region. Um, so that's at the top of the South Island. Um, it's a little bit further north than the Marlborough region, which is also at the top of the South Island but on the east coast, and this is further towards the west. And there is a range of, of um, I would call them mountains, but possibly, actually you'd probably call them mountains over this part of Canada too. <laughs> um, in BC they'd probably call them hills. Um, very big hills. Anyway, there's a big ra- range of hills between Marlborough and Nelson. So the climates are a little bit different. Um, Nelson's perhaps a bit more temperate in that it doesn't get as cold at night. Um, but what all that means is the, the Sauvignon Blanc tends to be a little bit more subtle in flavour than what mm-hmm. you'd expect for your classic New Zealand Sav, which is all about really aromatic punchiness and, and drive of acidity. Um, the Nelson Sav tends to be a bit more in the tropical lime spectrum, a little bit softer on the palate. Um, and I just call it an understated style of New Zealand Sav. Now this is this is the 17, which is last year's model. That's right. For, yeah, for, for you guys anyway. And then um, I know the 18 is on its way, or it's in it's in stores way, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've tried both. Uh, I find this one to be more grapefruity, yeah. uh, whereas the 18 leans a little more towards that tropical. Mm-hmm. I, I, are you like? Why are you looking at me? I'm just because I know you hate looking Sauvignon Blanc, so I am I am looking. I for don't hate your... Sauvignon Blanc. I love Sauvignon Blanc. I hate deliberately underripe Sauvignon Blanc, which I feel is a problem from this, larger this producers this in New Zealand into the shelf. Well, when you say that this is uh, If we were this more back subtle, a year, you would say, I hate Sauvignon Blanc. So no, I'm seeing, I've, I've, I'm hey, seeing evolution in you. No, I've said, I've, nice. said, I've said all along that it's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that I have it out for with that underripe style. Uh, you know, I've talked about how much I love Californian Sauvignon Blanc, Niagara Sauvignon Blanc, and Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. That's because Blanc. you hate acidity. No, I don't hate acidity. I just like it when my fruit's ripe. And, and I really think that there's large producers in New Zealand that are trying to see how underripe they can make the wines while pushing up that intensity so that, like you said, the, the classic New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc kicks you in the face when you mm. put it in the glass, which is, which is cool. When you discover premium wines, I think a lot of people gravitate to something that lacks a lot of subtlety, which is why something like Argentinian Malbec is really popular with you know, newly educated, and using air quote, consumers is... It's easy to gravitate to because when someone talks to you about the notes you're supposed to be picking up in the glass, it's really easy. Which as is, opposed to a Chablis, when we start talking about the nuanced notes, it's a little bit harder to pick up. But it's the reason why Chardonnay is, so, or, is or was so popular. 100%, especially with the over oak Chardonnay, because when you talk right. about like vanilla and pineapple and coconut and, and cream corn, it's really easy to pick up. Exactly. So I think that's why it's easy to gravitate to New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but I feel like we're at the tipping point with style. When you talk about this being a little bit more restrained, this is definitely restrained. And... I think it's great. I really like this wine. Really? 
I do. It's got a little bit more trouble. But Sounds it's like still... it wouldn't to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, listen, it, 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 ha- it has some of the, uh, you, it has keep, some of the pyrazine that you expect yeah, yeah. from the Sauvignon Blanc. Like, yeah. I'm getting a little bit of red pepper jelly. You know, some, what some people might call cat pee on the, on the nose, but it's not kicking boxwood. me in the face. It's You're a supposed little... to use boxwood. We don't use cat's pee anymore. Uh, it's a descriptor. My wife's a, my wife's a crazy cat lady, and yeah. uh, there's some days I walk into the house and we've forgotten to do the litter box. Just like, oh. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc in the house today. Oh, <laughs> jumping. Anyways, uh, not to crap on an entire country's varietal, the restraint but he is, has. The restraint is really appreciated. If you're looking for something with a little bit more restraint, this is definitely something to gravitate towards, and it's got more tropical. When you don't have the pyrazines kicking your nose off, you have a chance to really get that integrated with the tropical fruits. I really like how he defends himself on this. Yeah, so, he did a good job. Yeah, he did all right. He did okay. <laughs> What? You're just going to say you're, you're... Okay, I know you're expecting me to hate this wine. I don't hate this wine. No, I, I, I don't. I, I, this is one of my favorite Sauvignon Blancs. It becomes my... When the... Uh, and look, even in the glass, it's, it's, it's pushed more to, uh, like, nice nice tropical notes. When, when the 18 comes out, I, I will get a bunch of this. And actually, it goes on sale. It goes on sale, like, twice a year, doesn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so when it goes on sale, I pick up a whole bunch, and it becomes my, uh, my house Sauvignon Blanc. How much does this go for? Uh, this would be 19.99. Nineteen ninety nine, and then it goes on Great sale. Price. Usually three or four bucks off, isn't three it? Bucks off. Three bucks off. So you're looking at a seventeen dollar bottle of wine, and it's uh, you know really easy drinking, great summer wine. This is this is what I like about this one. Well, Richard, how, how do you feel about about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and the, and the style? Like, where's the style going? And you're in in New Zealand versus what's coming to export. Here we go. Yeah, it's interesting. No, I think um, I don't want to defend myself. I want to hear Richard talk about it. I almost think you see a little bit of a move away from those intense, uh, what you call, um, methoxypyrazines, you know, your green bell pepper. Um, there's a move more towards more tropical sort of passion fruit, grapefruit, um, what we call the thiol-based um, wines, uh, um, particularly for the American market. Um, I'm not sure about the Canadian so much. Um, but I think possibly what you're alluding to is there are uh, probably some big commercial wines out there where they push very big crops on their vineyards. Um, and there's people just using it as a real money-making tool, pushing big crops. The flavours are dilute. They're green. They're a little bit unripe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, as a company, we um, we put pretty strict uh, limits on the yield we'll take off all of our vineyards. We we do work with growers in the Nelson region, for instance, but we do restrict yield. Uh, and I know that that yield is lower than some of our competitors. Um, but it, it's a little bit of a risk to the New Zealand industry, I think. People overcropping their vines. So I, I know this question is going to be really nerdy. Sorry, Michael. To, go ahead, Andre. But no, no, when, you, when, you're, when you're talking about like uh, like crop loading and, and standards and, and fruit quality, is there? Yeah an overarching governing body in New Zealand that maybe you're looking at at setting, let's, for lack of a better term, like a Grand Cru tier for winemaking? For the um, I mean, we have a governing body, but there's no uh, rules around things like that. And to be honest, we don't want them. Um, you know, one of the beauties about the new world is that freedom, um, you know, 100%. not being dictated to what you can grow, where you can grow it, how much you can grow. You know, that's why we like the new world. So, you know, why would you change that and get lost, bogged down in regulation and red tape? So, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I heard that Marlboro is basically all planted out. There is no more room in, in Marlboro. Is that, um, is that the case? Oh, there's room. Um, yeah, I think that was probably started by real estate agents and, and <laughs> people like that trying to sell some land. But, no, um, look, there's room. Uh, but what you are seeing is uh, people going into slightly more marginal areas of Marlboro. Uh, marginal in terms of 
climate, warmth. Um, you'll still grow grapes there, uh, but you'll certainly get get much lower yields. Um, and, and they're probably area, areas that will lean towards that more greener flavour spectrum, um, purely because they're a bit cooler. And it, and it is mostly Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir. That's just what they've planned there. It's, nobody's trying yeah, to Yeah, that's right. And I think there is actually a lot of um, Chardonnay, there's a lot of Pinot Gris, there's Riesling, Gewürztraminer. Um, and when people say, oh, Marlborough's all planted out, um, what it's not, it's not completely planted out in just Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir. And I think what we'll see is once that land demand does sort of hit a tipping point, people will actually start pulling out those other varieties and just focusing on the two. Um, I mean, we can grow great Chardonnay in Hawke's Bay, for instance, so does it need to be grown in Marlborough? Um, so I think we'll, yeah, I think that demand for land will see that drive more towards Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir. Now that we've talked about what's being planted in Marlborough, I just hope I wasn't too critical of the of the Sauvignon Blanc, and I, I think I'm going to be tasting. You were, you were some, very uh, critical. Andrew, you were very <laughs> okay, but you're like putting me on the spot, like you're holding my feet to the fire. Well, I, I am because what I what I want to get at is that there's a nice evolution that you have had on Sauvignon Blanc. Like we have caught. I've always a year liked ago. Sauvignon Blanc. No, you haven't. No. I have. It's I would totally like to roll the oh tape. I'm going to have to find some tape. Do it. Because do I it. know do it. there's an I find hate Sauvignon it. It Blanc exist. taste. It does it not exist. It's always been New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I'm going to go look at the tapes. And I don't want to hear you again. <laughs> I hear you enough. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to the next wine. Right, what do we got? What do we got? On. So we've done Alberino. We've done um, we've done Sauvignon Blanc. And now I, I saw that uh, we're getting onto one of the uh, grapes that I hate. So I guess I get my feet held to the fire. This is Pinot Gris. <laughs> uh, I think one of the most boring grape varieties in the entire world. Next to Anouk Chardonnay. But Pinot Gris, I think, is top on my list. Of, yeah, I think so. Of, of boring. Especially when it comes in grigio form, but this does yeah. not say Pinot Grigio on the bottom. No, it's Gris, and I, and I, you know, from the Oh, hang on. We didn't talk about the label for the Sauvignon Blanc with the fish on a globe? Oh, it's a yeah, yeah, it's, like a, it's the flying squid mill. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, flying uh, squid mill? Yeah, it's a bashful creature. So Andre's right. The, the labels do come from an old textbook, and I think with, yeah. if, I, if I remember... When you and I were talking about these labels, he basically took a few of the pictures that he saw in these old biology textbooks and threw them together. So you yeah, that's exactly what he did. He, he used an illustrator who actually hand drew them all using all these images um, to copy off. But um, the, we call them um, uh, we call them mashups. Okay, mashups. That's how we describe them. Um, whimsical creations is another uh, description. Um, but everyone, we've got this beautiful old windmill on the Tiawa vineyard that used to be used for pulling water out of the ground when the, the property was a farm. And he's actually drawn the uh, windmill, as you can see here, it's on the bottom of the flying squid mill. The, the Tiawa windmill's actually been drawn. Okay, aren't those windmills the on the heads of the dueling winemakers in the first one? They are. Good okay. observation. So, um, yeah. I spend more time thinking about wine labels than any other wine writer in <laughs> Toronto, in Ontario. I guarantee that. Yeah. And I think about the wine in the bottle, so that right. makes me better at it this, than you do. Whatever you need to tell yourself to That's sleep at night. I sleep at this night Pinot Gris, fine. Listen, here's, here's a tasting note for you. This Pinot Gris is yummy. It's, uh, you know, where I think a lot of Pinot Gris is kind of one-note citrus, one-note, like, golden delicious apple, or, or if you're lucky. This has got a lot of nectarine and peach. It's, it's, it's green. It definitely is green because it's got that white fruit to it. Nice texture, but not overly so. And uh, I don't, it's just bottled sunshine. 
Yeah, I think, um, <coughs> excuse me, like Sauvignon Blanc's the number one white grape in New Zealand, um, and I don't know if people know it, but Pinot Gris is actually number two in terms of planting. Um, and back home, Pinot Gris is hugely popular. It's, it's pro- we almost it's popular we probably well. sell more Pinot Gris in New Zealand than we do Sauvignon Blanc, to be honest. Hmm, it's, it's really popular. Um, it's, and, and people it is, hate Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just as much as Andre does. And it's... Um, <laughs> You know, it is Pinot Gris. It's not Pinot Grigio. Um, it has flavour. Um, and I think... What are you saying about Pinot Grigio? I, just, I think I heard something that I like. I was talking about Pinot Gris. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if anyone actually tries Pinot Gris from the Alsace region, they're quite rich and lush. You know, they're jam- no one would ever say they're bland. Um, and, and so... You know, if we called it Pinot Grigio, no one in New Zealand would know what the hell we're talking about because Pinot Grigio just isn't even a market. So you, you have a so. consumer a consumer base in in New Zealand that can discriminate between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris. Oh, they wouldn't even know what Pinot Grigio is, to be honest. It's a non non issue in New Zealand. They drink Pinot Gris. Uh, that's what they know. It sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> That's, that is correct. We, we do make more Pinot Gris in Ontario than we do meet Pinot Grigio. Yeah. We just call it Pinot Grigio because it sells here. Because yeah. again, if we're going to on the LCBO a little bit on this one. There's one for the swear jar. That he um, that they they bring in as much Pinot Gris or slash Grigio as they possibly can, and whether it's Gris style or Grigio style, nobody cares. They just well, okay, but it's not fair to shit on the on the LCBO completely for that. It means that we have a consumer base in Ontario that's just gravitating towards that, and I think it's because it's a word that sounds fancy. It's affordable. And it's comfortable. It's comforting for people. They know that it's wine that tastes like wine. But let's face it, most of the Pinot Grigio on the market, especially entry level, if you're talking $10 Pinot most, Grigio, most we call wine. that wedding wine. It's most, wedding wine. It's wine, wine that tastes like wine. Most wine tastes like wine. Or it should, anyway. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Unless it's orange Junior, wine. Generic or... wine taste. Like, like it's, 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 uh, it doesn't have any, you know... It's water with dis- alcohol. Distinguishing, fa- distinguishing factors to it. Distinguishing notes. It's wine that tastes like wine. Which is unfortunate wine. because I think people should be looking for wine that has character in it, not that just is, is wine. 100%. Okay. All right. We agree on something. That's good. That's good. Yeah. We got there eventually. Woo! <laughs> Boy, aren't you regretting <laughs> signing up for this podcast? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. That's good. All right, yeah, this is, a, uh, this is lovely Pinot, and it is totally uh, Pinot Gris. That's the kind of style I, I'm, I'm hoping for. Do you, do you use any skin contact, least stirring, barrel? Uh, so this um, this is a Hawke's Bay wine, so it's, um, you know, where I'm based in Hawke's Bay. Uh, you know, Hawke's Bay is probably getting quite warm for Pinot Gris, if, if we think about Pinot Gris being a relation to Pinot Noir, um, which it is, by the way. Um but what we do is we grow it in a cooler inland valley of Hawke's Bay. Um, so that helps just retain some of the acidity. Um, so it's got a nice freshness to it. Uh, what, what we do with this wine, it's actually a single vineyard wine, but we do two picks. So we'll go through a pick half the vineyard quite early. And that helps with acidity and freshness and some of those nice zesty characters. Uh, and then we'll leave some of the, the other half of the vineyard out hanging um, to get some really good ripeness, and that's when you get some of those lovely peach and apple flavours. So you, it's that sort of contrast of flavours. Uh, to be honest, dealing with Pinot Gris, sometimes it can be a little bit painting white on white, so you do need to build flavour into the wine. Your glass is empty, Michael. Um, you enjoyed that? It is. I did like this. Do you ever worry about getting any kind of colour into it? Or um, Colour's part of Pinot Gris. It doesn't scare me. Like, if you hold it up to the light... It's got a little bit, but it's not slight, too bad. Slight, I mean, but have yeah. you ever had one that's... that's Pink, and then yeah. you had to strip it out or something like that? No, I've, I've never had to strip. The colour should fall out pretty naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, if a Pinot Gris still has colour, either, either they've left it on skin contact for a little bit, um, or the odd person will actually throw a bit of red wine in there to make it look pink. And it's you, this is definitely the best uh, Pinot Gris I've tasted in 2019 from anywhere. Okay. Like, I mean, this, is, this is... Uh, 
chuggable, especially in 40 yeah. degree weather. Yeah. But oh, sure. I mean, it's it's got nice definition. Sessionable it's got, sounds better than yes, sessionable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You use that. Yeah, we want to take that beer term to us. <laughs> yes, this is definitely uh, sessionable. I could definitely uh, session promote. an entire bottle to myself. And we promote responsible. Absolutely. Uh, Pr- responsible sessionability. Far away from my car keys. <laughs> but that is that is lovely. So did you? Um, so back to color though. Do you uh, ever work with getting any color in your premium green? Any, um, any of the stuff you use? I mean, I, I press uh, generally press the juice out as quickly as possible just to avoid that colour pickup. Um, this year in 2019 was the first year I did um, the, about 5% of the wine. I actually did a bit of a skin ferment playing around with it. But even then, it, it, the colour's not pink. It, it's more of an orangey, slightly grey colour. So if you see a Pinot Gris that's actually pink, the chances are someone's put some red wine in there to make it look pink. Yeah, I think, I think we're talking pink. It's more that, like, coppery. Yeah, yeah. Like coppery it's like copper. It comes out as a very yeah, yeah. slight coppery hue, and that's just totally natural, you know. Okay. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, careful winemaking, normally that colour drops out on its own. So I, I don't mind a little bit of pink or a little no. bit of copperiness in Pinot Gris. I think it, it shows a little bit of characteristics yeah. of barrel age, lees. Pinot Gris needs it, because otherwise it's just a boring, <laughs> boring wine. Holy God. You were the first person to empty your glass of this on the table. And I liked it. I, I liked it completely. I could drink that all day long. So, so now I'm staring at two uh, two red wines, and uh, neither this, one of them are Pinot Noir. So, neither one of them are Pinot Noir. And uh, what what really excited me uh, when I was in New Zealand, I'm allowed two two. I was in New Zealand. Shut up, Michael. Okay. So, uh, what really excited me was was Hawks Bay. I thought that was the most exciting. Uh, place to go because I am first and foremost a red wine drinker and uh, I was really excited to see the Syrahs from there and I see there's a, a Syrah on the table and it is Hawks Bay so uh, I've been kind of I, I really wanted to skip over the whites and get to the Syrah <laughs> but I know we had to go in order so I'm, I'm hoping Richard will tell us a little of the Syrah and and then and then pour it. Yeah, so the Syrah, this is in our Tiawa single estate range. So um, whereas Leftfield comes from um, different regions around New Zealand, uh, the Tiawa range is, is single vineyard wines from our home estate, uh, which is located on the Gimlet Gravels in Hawke's Bay. Um, and it's a funny thing, I mean, you know, well before New Zealand ever got known for growing Pinot Noir, um, it probably has a longer history of Ooh. growing um, wines like Merlot, um, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, Syrah is probably a bit... Been a bit later um, to the party. Um, the history of Syrah is probably you know less than thirty years old in New Zealand, um, but I call this Hawke's Bay's version of Pinot. You know, we are making cooler climate Syrah. It's not. We're not trying to make Australian Shiraz, for instance. Um, we're trying to make wines with perfume, slightly peppery. Um, they're a bit lighter, more floral. This smells um, like good Niagara Syrah. I That's why I went. I went. Yeah. If if. <laughs> If I were tasting this blind, I would guess this is from Creekside. I love the bacon fat, the yeah. smokiness, that raspberry note. I'm getting the, the cracked black pepper is what jumps out of the glass to me, like right out of the pepper grinder. Yeah, it's a real hallmark of Hawke's Bay Syrah, I think, that pepperiness. Uh, this is 2017, which was probably the coolest vintage we've had in, in the l- recent history. Um, so in those cooler vintages, that's when that pepperiness is really accentuated. Um, so it is probably the lightest uh, Syrah we've made in the last 10 years, but I really like it. It's a re- really nice, cool climate expression of the grapes. Well, the nose is like it's brooding and, and heavy. Like you said, smoked bacon fat. I got like black licorice. Like it's, it's really just dark on the nose. There's so much going on there, and you know... But it's it's really lifted on the back palate. Okay, so here's something I, I don't think we've ever done on uh, 
on a podcast before. Okay. I, I have I'm a, excited. What are you doing? I have a, a little uh, you know, single oh, God. narrator. Well, look, I, I don't use it very often. But uh, you've pulled out the gadgets. I've pulled out a gadget. Uh, gadget. And as much as I don't like gadgets, uh, I really would I like. I really to, don't like gadgets. I would like to see this wine opened up a little bit more. It is a very youthful, very. Because it's, very it's really young, and uh, the the. It's still quite approachable. Like the the tannins really well integrated, soft on the back end, that's, and uh, that's that's not going to. too big. Just, <laughs> no, no. That the, uh, uh, the, yeah. it does not work in screw cap wines as well as I would want it to. <laughs> The opening in the bottle is just the, the neck is just too wide. Let's just see if uh, I. You can... should be pushing it down. No, nope. okay. there we go. Okay, so I've got a little bit going in the glass. Anybody else want to try this? This, this is. Sure, this let's is... try the stupid gadget. Okay. <laughs> so stupid gadget, which should theoretically open the wine up a little bit more. See if uh, see where this wine goes because as much as I'd like to sit with Richard for the next three hours, I know he's got to. Um, Pour wine at the flights of Chardonnay. Yeah, that's right. So he's got flights of Chardonnay to go to, um, where I get to try a whole bunch of Chardonnay and go, oh, that's Chardonnay. Um, <laughs> well, that's a load of bull. Yeah, so <laughs> I usually like flights of Chardonnay. I really I love flights of I'm, Chardonnay. I'm really looking for what because what I like about flights of Chardonnay is that I, I I get to go to the international producers and try uh, the ones from around the world and. Um, because I've tried all, I've tried most of the stuff. I would say from from Ontario. Uh, I, I am looking forward to trying the new Le Clos Jardin. I've yeah, tried I'm that Chardonnay. To that table. Uh, I know because uh, I got a preview of it. The farm's new Chardonnay. Go try that, Andre. It all right, is all right, all right. Good. All right, we're off on a Jim so, Richards style tangent here. <laughs> uh, since we go too far off, I hate to admit it. Your stupid gadget has brought out a lot more fruit on mm. the mid palate on the, on the mouth. The nose is still virtually identical. But it's a little bit more, a uh, little bit more fruity, a little bit less smoky. But that bacon fat is really nice on there too, and it's come out a little more. It's raspberry bacon fat, which is you know not yeah. I didn't something that raspberry you would, and bacon. I didn't find yeah. the I didn't find the raspberry until uh, until you put it through the stupid gadget. Yeah, no, this is. I I only use the special the special gadget or the stupid gadget. Either way, it's an SG uh, on um, things I really want to see what's going to happen and whether I should wait or whether I should gadget it. Usually I will wait uh, because I am not I am not somebody who who watches the first five minutes of um, of uh, Sherlock Holmes show. I can't even remember what the name of the show is now. Sherlock? No. Elementary. 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 Thank you. I don't watch the first five minutes of that and then fast forward to the last five minutes to see who did it. Sherlock is better than show. Elementary, just so you know. I understand that, but I've okay. watched a lot of Elementary. I have to be honest. Okay. And it's in their last season. So. Oh, thank God. Okay. So, but I don't watch the first five minutes and the last five minutes just to see what happens. I like to watch a bottle of wine open up through the course of an evening, although we don't have an evening here, so I wanted to, I wanted to get to this point, and I think I'm very happy with where this wine's, wine's going to end up. So, ageability. And I've, I've also heard people say that, that wine's well, Richard, under Richard, how long would you how long would you age that? Like, when, when do you think that that would really enter its prime where the fruit starts to jump out from the that heavier, smokier, you know, front... Yeah, for Jacket me, Haw- Hawks Bay Syrah hits this really nice sweet spot uh, about five to eight years. You okay. just hit, um, and it, some of those primary fruit die out. Um, the wine just got a little bit more chocolatey, you know, um, soften up. I mean, we add, it does have a freshness of acidity, you know. So um, Syrah, or cool climate Syrah, it's a 
a lot of it's about that. We call it the acid tango tannin. Um, acid tan, tannin tango. Try okay. saying that three times in a row. Okay. Um, that's how we describe it, you know. So you're really dealing with that interplay between the acid and the tannin, and it normally just takes a few years for those two to sort of meld together, um, and then you just get this lovely plush style wine. Um, so that, it's still a, a bit of an awkward teenager at the moment, for sure. Definitely. But five to eight years, you just hit this really nice sweet spot. Yeah. So what are we going, doing next? We're doing the, the Cab Sauv Merlot? <laughs> That's that right. Kidnapper Cliffs? Yeah, so this is um, a prestige uh, range of wines we make called Kidnapper Cliffs. So um, it, um, Hawke's Bay, um, at the bottom of Hawke's Bay, um, there, there are these quite stunning white limestone cliffs, and Thank they're you. a real feature of the, the Hawke's Bay landscape, a very iconic Hawke's Bay landscape. <laughs> Um, and there's a bit of a reason why the, it's, called, it's called Cape Kidnappers is where these cliffs are located. Um, and they're called that because when Captain Cook, the first European to explore New Zealand, um, when he first discovered um, the, this cape, um, the local Māoris saw that there was this young Polynesian man on, the, on his boat. And the local Māori thought that this Polynesian man had been kidnapped. They thought he was another Māori from somewhere else in New Zealand. And so the local Māori rode out to Captain Cook's boat and they tried to kidnap this Polynesian off the, off the boat and they got him onto their boat and they paddled away. And then Captain Cook's men started firing on them and a bit of a tussle ensued. And in the end, this Polynesian guy, Captain Cook, had actually picked him up in the South Pacific Islands somewhere and he, were, he had actually gone with them willingly to be on no. part of the crew. And he had actually had to escape the local Māori and swim back to the main <laughs> boat. So it was a little bit of a misunderstanding and that's why the, the place is called Cape Kidnappers. So um, kidnapping might seem a little bit of a dark theme um, when it comes to calling a wine, but it's a really iconic Hawke's Bay landscape. And and um, so what we're doing here is the grapes are grown on the Tiara Estate. This is a Gimlet Gravels uh, um, wine. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot blend. Uh, there is just a little smidgen of Cabernet Franc in there. Um, very roughly about 75% Cabernet, 20% Merlot and a little bit of Cab Franc. Uh, 2013, which was a really great vintage in, in Hawke's Bay. Um, the wines from 2013 should be really long-lived. They were pretty unapproachable young. So when you, when you say great vintage, um, are you just talking about hot and dry? or like, uh, what, what, is, what does great vintage mean to you? A great vintage to, to us is normally a dry autumn. Um, okay. I don't think that it's necessarily the hottest years. Okay. Um, it's dryness is the key. And, and in 13, we had a really nice dry March and April. Um, if you had have listened to my speech today at the uh, Cool Climate sort of uh, Chardonnay Festival, um, we can get quite a bit of rain in March, which causes us problems. And in 13, we just didn't get that. And that means you can really uh, pick your grapes when they're the optimum ripeness rather than um, dodging rain showers. And so so what is grown on the, on the Gimlet Gravels? Like, what is the percentage of grapes grown? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it w- I suspect it would be heavily skewed towards Merlot, which is Hawke's Bay's uh, largest planting of red grapes. Um, then it would be Syrah, then Cabernet Sauvignon in that order, I think. I think it should be more Cabernet Sauvignon, to be honest, because it performs better um, on the Gimlet. But this, is a, this is a lovely wine, and, and I, I don't think that anybody really thinks of New Zealand as Cabernet Sauvignon country. I really, I, like, I, I, it does not immediately come to mind when I'm, I'm thinking No, it's New exciting, Zealand. it's exciting to, to see these wines just because, like, I have no, I have nothing really to compare the, this to. So Syrah, I, 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 I know, I mean, if you've gone to the annual New Zealand show, uh, you know that there's Syrahs on the table, you know there's Sauvignon Blancs, so then you know the, the Pinot Noir is there. 
Um, and as I said, Syrah would probably be your next or your your most showcased mm. red uh, next to Pinot. Uh, or, and, and you just don't see Cabernet Sauvignon very often or Merlot. And, and it's really lovely to see see this kind of wine. And, I've and never seen you like talk at this like low voice. Usually <laughs> more yelling. Well, I, I am, but I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm at that mellow stage because this is really a, a lovely I love how like that, that went straight into, into your mouth. Like for you, this is another sessionable wine. I can't get past the nose on this. Like it is so... Oh, I love that that smoking. Like it's it's already I'm not so even we're getting the smoke. It's all that that fruit. Like for it's me, fruit, it's, it's, smoke, it's strawberry, fruit, it's raspberry. Fruit. Like we're just coming at the end of uh, of like strawberry season here in Ontario, which started late, but it's got that like really fresh, juicy, concentrated strawberry nose, red cherry, which I'll be on the hunt for tomorrow. Are they Cherries. ripe yet? Cherries are out. Yeah. Okay, about time. Yeah, we're a little it's, late on those too. But, but like it's really like it's really it's just a lot of red fruit. Green it's not peas. it's not a lot of that like jammy cassis that you get from a warmer climate like this is really restrained no there's some there's some real interest uh in this in this wine and uh, what i really yes I, I did drink quite a bit of it i did spit a little bit of it too but i but i really i really i'm really excited by this uh by this cam and we're not really letting richard speak at all we're just no i mean this podcast has been a lot of you and me talking we got the yeah. guests here they did a good job of describing that one. It saves me having to, to describe it. But I think um, what you're saying about New Zealand not being known for Cabernet, I th- there, there were some pretty average Cabernet wines come out in the 60s and 70s from New Zealand, and they, they grew them on heavy soil. We missed soil. both of those years. Yeah, that, yeah it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and New Zealand had a reputation for producing really green, sort of vegetal Bordeaux-style so wines. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and people were... Vo- ever since just sort of written them off, I guess, in a global sense. Um, but since the discovery of places like the Gimlet Gravels, for instance, in the 80s and 90s, you know, um, people have found the right places to plant them. Um, we realise it's not going to grow anywhere. You have to be very specific where you plant it. Um, and, and we and know a lot, lot more of, uh, of growing it. There's, you know, another 20, 30 years of viticulture experience. Um, and, and to be honest, some of New Zealand's finest wines are probably made from Cabernet or Cabernet-based blends, but they, to be honest, they probably never leave the country. Because, you know. I mean, there's a lot of places in the world can make great Cabernet, so it's less distinctive than, say, Sauvignon Blanc or you know, even our Syrah and things like that, which there's not many other places in the world can make wines of that style. But, but Cabernet Sauvignon sort of grows everywhere. So. So, so I do have a question for you, because New Zealand is about the same age as Ontario is for wine for winemaking. So you're a native New Zealander? That's right. Okay. Yes. So you would you would at least have an idea of, you know, where you were in your past and and where you're going with your future. So what my big question is New Zealand on the world stage is a heck of a lot more well known than Ontario and we're probably about the same size uh, and we're about the same age. What is the key to New Zealand's success on the world stage? I'm not going to ask you to compare it to Ontario, but yeah. what is the key to New Zealand's success? Uh, yeah, I think the the key that probably unlocked the door, uh, dare I say it, was the Sauvignon Blanc. You're probably not so happy to hear that. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, but I mean, having, know, having, having, fo- having focus is, is, is good. Yeah, um, but the, the key, key really was Sauvignon Blanc because there was nowhere else in the world that made Sauvignon Blanc that tasted so distinctive, um, that was so aromatically intense. Um, and people kept saying, oh, well, you know, places like Chile and so on are going to learn how to produce a style of wine and overtake New Zealand. But, but no one ever has. It, it is really a, you know, it's a 
dare I say it, a terroir thing, you know, nowhere else can make that style of wine. Um, and so we just had this one variety that was so distinctive and that's what opened doors. And even now, whenever you travel around the world, um, even though I, I spend much more of my time working with Chardonnay and Syrah, Cabernet, because I'm based in Hawke's Bay, but when you're travelling the world, the first wine you always show people is the Sauvignon Blanc. You know, it opens doors. So, um, yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective with Ontario, I mean, you know, is there a one wine that you take to the world and say, this is us? Sadly, um, it was yeah, ice wine, but ice yeah. wine becomes a, a luxury product, and, and it's not somebody, everybody, not everybody's going to buy a $75 bottle of wine. But well, I think even in terms of it being a luxury product, uh, I think the highest quality producers in Ontario are starting to shy away from ice wine too, with the exceptions of the larger producers. Correct. We're trying, to, sh- we're trying to show mm. Pinot Noir. We're trying to show Chardonnay. Mm. But you know, there's all kinds of places in the world that are making Pinot and Chardonnay. I I believe, and I I've always believed this, and you and I speak about this in private. We should really be doing Cabernet Franc because mm. who's doing Cabernet mm. Franc on a on a massive scale? That that not massive. Heck, we're not massive. But who's doing it on a scale? Uh, that Ontario is. It's mm. it really is our calling card as far as as far as a wine because every other grape I could mention to you, there is a place. Uh, well, Chardonnay. It's, it's the other Pinot side. Noir, it's the other side Gamay. of the coin. It's the other side of the coin, though. Like you talked about, like being in the New World, it's great to have the freedom to plant mm. Albarino and not be able to do that in in Niagara. We have people planting whatever the hell they want and executing well. Like we have Big Head working with Chenin Blanc. We've got Chardonnay Musquet from different wineries. We have specific clones of, of Riesling that are vastly different whether it's a alsatian 49 or, or vice 21 like it's we do so many things well that i don't know if we want to if, if there's enough people who are willing to hang their hats on just one variety well i don't think I, but i don't think new zealand hangs their hat on one variety they they were able to kick the door open with sauvignon blanc and then they also said look here's some pinot here's some syrah here's this here's that we kicked the door open with ice wine and really where do you go with that because after that you go dry and you go with a completely different you know uh, profile of wine there's really nowhere to go with we just I think we'd have to crack open some sales numbers from from New Zealand though to see what percentage of exports is purely Sauvignon Blanc and how long it's going to take the market to catch up on other varieties New Zealand wine exports are something like 80 it'd be in the 82% 82% Sauvignon Blanc. So yeah, it's very So it's going to take scary. a long, it's going to yeah. take some time for the but, other varieties um, to catch But you'll say have to remember, New Zealand's a country of 4 million people. Um, oh, so our domestic market is quite Toronto, small. I mean, how many people live in Toronto? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah it's a, um, so you've got this huge domestic market and, you know. Which doesn't like Ontario wine. That's yeah, well, you need to problem. convince them first that they should yeah. drink their own wine um, yeah, after they drink New Zealand wine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their second choice should be drinking their local wine. Um <laughs> uh, you know, like you, I guess the need to export is probably not so urgent for your local producers. But, uh, I mean, I don't know the local industry. You know what? Before we wrap this up, uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like everybody to dump their glass. Um, Richard, I know that you're here for the I4C, um, and you're probably going to taste a lot of Ontario Chardonnay. But Jesus, Pincus, turn your ringer off when we do these. Like, I love that loon you? sound. Everybody <laughs> loves the loon sound, so I keep it. So that's very, very unto- I, I suspect you don't have loons in I don't know New what Zealand. that is. That's the, that's the sound they make. They make that little... A loon. Yeah. What is that? Like a it's a bird. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a black and white bird. It's on our, it's on our $1 coin. That's oh, why we call it the loony. It's called loon. Because <laughs> the, bird on the, on the, 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 the bird on the coin is a loon. So you're going you're gonna to taste uh, a lot of Ontario Chardonnay. Um... I don't know what else you're going to taste while you're here. So I thought I would open up something something old, 
um, something uh, from a great vintage and something high end. This would be, I think it would hit all three of the, uh, you're going to show them a loon now? I go on. Oh, wow. Okay, there you go. So I've got uh, a Henry of Pelham 2010 great vintage spec family reserve, Cabernet Merlot. And um, so since we talked a lot about Richard's wine, I think it's be interesting to get his take on an Ontario wine uh, from uh, from a good vintage. And um, I, yes. I would just like his, his take on it. And let's let him talk for a little bit here. Yeah, look, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really impressive wine. And it, to be honest, it actually reminds me a lot of an aged Hawke's Bay red. You know, um, you get those lovely kind of plum notes. It's just heading into that slight tobacco leaf, you know, some lovely pencil shaving notes. I mean, it's a classic sort of Bordelais-style wine. Um, and I'm quite amazed how similar to an aged Hawke's Bay red it tastes, actually. Um, especially, you know, some of the... Um, local Ontario um, Chardonnays I've tried, you know, they really taste like cool climate Chardonnays, they're quite firm acidity and things like this, but this doesn't taste like a really, really cool climate Cabernet Merlot, for instance. 2010, just for your reference, was an insanely hot, hot, very, very dry, lots of uh, stress on the vines. It did not, it did not rain at all pretty much from April until November. Yeah, we'd call this a we'd call this a good vintage, obviously because you know as well. And the uh, fascinating thing is, twenty tens have not been holding on as well as people thought. No, because te- the the thing about ten is a lot. There was a lot of over extraction in in the tens, um, you, which you would hope there wouldn't be, but there there was. And uh, I think Henry Pelham has really done a, a great job on this one. This one is hanging in there really nice. Yeah. It's got this beautiful line of tannin from yeah. the cabernet, and um, yeah, it's lovely. Glad, glad I'm impressed. Glad we opened that one up. <laughs> and it was just behind me here, so that's yeah, really, yeah, yeah. that looks pretty interesting. So, R- Richard, we'd like to thank you very much for for coming in, for coming all this way. Obviously, not just for us, but we know we were the key reason you came. Um, and uh, Rod, thank you for for bringing him along. You and you've been a wealth of information to us as far as you know stuff that's available uh, in the market. And uh, Andre, I'd like to thank you for for bringing the kit down. Um, and uh, and setting up at the dining room table again. Anybody else you want to thank? Uh, I would like God. I would like to thank God the music for uh, the touchdown I scored at the uh, the end of the game. And uh, oh, sorry. Okay, I think we're done. All right, thanks. Guys. You need to go through all of these podcasts because I am ninety nine percent certain I have never shit on Sauvignon Blanc as a varietal. I think you were drunk one night and we were in each uh, in uh, in uh, I was in Niagara and you were in. Uh, uh, and you were in Toronto. Okay, because, but I absolutely because I remember we had somebody else on the podcast who knew that you didn't like Sauvignon Blanc, and everybody seems to know you don't like Sauvignon Blanc when they come on the podcast. Yeah, but but it's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. It's maintaining. I maintain that I've always had my dismay for New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc because I've talked about how much I love the Fumé Blanc, how much I love California Sauvignon Blanc when I came back from that trip. I wrote my column in Quench about Sauvignon Blanc from Chile, which is also a revelation. And I've been a champion for the great Sauvignon Blanc from Ontario. Shout out to Meldville, Featherstone, Henry of Pelham for their... Uh, uh, me for their you protest Blanc, too much. For the um, Five Rows with their Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, you are just protesting a little too much on this one. You I just know think you you're afraid have. to go check the tape. No, I'll do it one day when I actually care. Okay, well, you should care because you were, like, doubling down on it. I don't know. I double down on it because I know it's true. I just got to find it. All right. Just remember, um, if you want us to keep making great content and... Uh, keep yelling sure, at each other. Making sure that we're doing it well, uh, support us on Patreon. Look for Two Guys Talking Wine on Patreon. 
Follow us on social media, Two Guys Talking Wine on Twitter. I'm Andre Weinerview on Instagram and Twitter. Jesus, this tale is starting to get long. It does. It's a tale of many cities now. I'm and, Michael uh, Pingus. Michael... Oh, okay. Forgot about that one. And I'm Michael Pingus of MichaelPingusWineReview.com. As always. Find me in The Grape Guy. Find me, Michael Pingus Wineview. Yada, yada, yada. Subscribe yeah. to the podcast. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your mother. Tell. Anyway, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. <laughs>